0: UK Motor Talk. Hello, everyone. We are back, and the gang's all here this week. Hi, everyone. I'm Mike. And I'm
1: Jim, good evening, and uh, contrary to uh, reports by David last week, I am sadly now with us, as opposed to no longer with us, which is a uh, very good Reports of my death. Pretty exaggerated.
2: No known as Lazarus Baxter. <laughs>
3: I was misinformed, what can I say? Hello everyone, how are we? Good, I think. Hello. What has been going on since we last saw you
1: all? Well, the clocks have changed, so it's now pitch black outside as you get in towards the end of the day at work, and but we're we're in that week, week and a half period where, oh actually it's that little bit lighter in the morning but that won't last too long will it and it'll soon be dark first thing in the morning and dark when you come home and just generally dark and miserable and everybody will get rickets and seasonal affective disorder. So we've got that to look forward to over the next couple of months I think. Here's to rickets. Indeed Mm -hmm. and here's to noticing how many people are driving around with only one headlight working or uh, only driving around with side lights like the Fiat Five Hundred oh, was following well. up today, or oh no, there's a very easy solution to that. So if you've got one headlight out, just put the other one on main beam because that's the same. It it you know doubles the output. So if you've only got one, double the output of the other one, and and that won't blind anyone or irritate anyone at
0: all, will it? I was driving home last night and I came up behind a Toyota Yaris which was like a thirteen plate or something, and predictably with a, an older lady driving, and she didn't have any lights on. And the car behind must have been... We're on a dual carriageway. And for this entire stretch of dual carriageway was just flashing, constantly flashing her. And I was driving Amy's car, which is many things, but does have the world's most incredible headlamps on it. Those giant LED bars across both sides, like a night sun. So when you flash the lights, it's like thunder and lightning. Anyway, she, she put her arm out the window and was waving... So I came alongside as we stopped at the roundabout and I said, Lights? She goes, Yes, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> put, put, them put them on. Put them on. I said, I don't know how. But Firstly, right. how do you Give get Give me into your bar- keys. <laughs> yes. This is the point where she then carried on her journey. You think, wouldn't you at least have, like, oh, the hazard light buttons, that's the big, the big triangle. There's, there's, if nothing else, that's always lit up. Press that button, pull over or something, so you can put your lights on. Like, it's on the end of your indicators. It's on the end of your indicators. She's like, oh, right, thanks. Didn't turn them on. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's just terrifying. Well, it's like, how many people do you see? We, I mean, a number of times we've mentioned this, but how many people do you get who are driving along, blinding everybody at night because they've still got the DRLs on at the front, but absolutely sod all at the back? Yes, so the back of the I car love. is absolutely blank. But, Invisible. oh, yeah, well, my dash, my dash is lit up and the front's all bright and I can see where I'm going. It's just there's just sheer ineptitude. Nobody knows what they're doing. They the driving mm-hmm. test should be just far more stringent. God, again, we've had the conversation.
1: But when when did it become a thing by manufacturers that will have the dashboard lit up all the time? Because it yeah. was always a reasonable indication that if it was too dark to be able to see the dashboard, you needed to put some lights on, and that was yep. always
0: a very good indicator that put your lights on because you can't see your dashboard. And what's really exactly. rotating in Amy's car? Is that you don't know if the lights are on because it lights up on the actual rotary dial switch jobby, which is in that bit you can't see to the right of the steering wheel. You know, the steering wheel is completely in your eye line of seeing the useful bit, the useful hmm. dial. So on there, it tells you if it's got the side lights or dip beams on or whatever. No idea.
2: I'm afraid you assume that most people actually look at their dashboard. My experience is that they don't anyway. You know, if mm, when, they run, when, when, when they run out of fuel, that's the point at which they look at their dashboard. But in terms of any understanding of what's going on with the vehicle, no idea. I was on the M25 Sunday night, kicking down with rain, and there were still people on the right-hand side of me with no lights on at all. Clueless.
0: dawdling along in the middle lane, no doubt.
2: No, in, in a slightly faster lane than that, because I was somewhere near the middle lane. But I think, as David said earlier, there should be some sort of IQ test. Don't pass the driving test. Pass an IQ test. Otherwise, you're not fit to drive. You're just a danger to the rest of us.
3: Well, I don't know if it's something that's now taught when learning to drive, but certainly it's been taught, and Graham i'm sure you will you'll remember this but as an advanced motorist you are taught to do a cockpit drill when you get in the car so that you can get in any car wherever you are whether it's right hand drive left hand drive an old one a new one whatever you go through the same basic checks so you know where the major controls are you know where you you make a point of finding out where the light switches case in point as we're talking about now where yeah. the handbrake is what the switches do whether it's an automatic or manual it sounds stupid but these days you know what all the things do what what are the main functions of the car that allow you to drive it safely so putting the lights on would be one of the major things that would be tested are your mirrors set correctly can you see what's all around you do you know where the wipers are if it suddenly starts pissing with rain i still do it i mean because I'm taught to do it, but I think they should be teaching this to people who are learning to drive. It could very well be that they are, and if you know that that's the case, please write in and let us know. But when I was taught to drive, I don't remember it being something that went through with me. It Mm. just
2: doesn't seem to happen anymore, and maybe I'm maligning driving instructors, but I think there's such a, a desire to get people through their test as rapidly as possible with as few lessons as possible that elements like that, really basic stuff, as you say, David, you and I were taught.
0: That just doesn't seem to happen anymore. I was uh, taught to drive by a sergeant major, who was he was rather brilliant. He was a, a pretty harsh critic. He was like, right, pull over. You pull over. Do that again and get him shoot you to Arthur. I like, Who's Arthur? Arthur, big ex-hand I'll it right. And he was he was pretty aggressive with pretty much everything. Out the car, do some burpees. Get back in the car. Right, do it properly. He was quite extreme. I mean, he was also <laughs> very easily wound up, as it turned out, and liked racing people. I remember being sat next to a cavalier. I think I've said this before. And uh, <laughs> we were sat at the set of traffic lights. He's like, right, when we had them, we had them off the lights. And He wound down the window. like, you just been out by a learner. <laughs> Super professional, um, but a, a, a true gent. And he always used to say to me exactly the same thing. Right, we want you as few lessons as possible, because if you're gone... I might get some pretty young thing instead. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> Hashtag me too. Certainly unacceptable in this day and age, isn't it? That, that <laughs> would upset somebody,
0: wouldn't it? Yes. You can tell this has been a long time since I, I passed my driving test now. But
2: but nevertheless, yeah. you, you remember those things because I do. He, did, he did drum that stuff into you, like it or not. That was his method.
0: I learned to drive in the winter um, on purpose so I could try and experience as much as I could. And I still prefer driving in the dark. Um, to driving the light, there's just less people, I find it more, I just find it more relaxing driving the dark, but he was, he was a superb instructor, he got me through a test first time, and um, I remember we were going up through some really twisty country roads, and I was probably not going quite fast enough, and he said, you need to be moving faster, and he was showing me the racing line, and he said, right, you can do this whole thing at 60, I said, all right, okay, go on then, so he did, went the whole way through, <laughs> 60 miles an hour, straight through, there you go, confidence in this, is fine. Follow this line, Blum. he did caveat that with saying, doesn't matter if you know the road, you knew it last time you came here, you don't know what it's like now, so you do have to be careful with that. But nevertheless, taught me a lot about car control and and, and how to abuse chavs and cavaliers.
3: <laughs> a very important life skill. If you can find it. I remember the
0: last time I saw a cavalier. Well, I was going to well, say,
3: if you can find one now to race, you would be very lucky. The nearest you'll get would be a... I don't know, probably a Nova, a Nova GTE or an SRI perhaps, but I doubt you'd find a
0: Cavalier these days. See, I reckon this is going to be a bit like when you go to a show and you see the people that own Cosworths and such now because they're all all of a certain age. I mean, no one's younger than me. Let's let's put it that way, that owns it pretty much because no one else can afford to buy them anymore. And I just wonder if there's going to be, before too long, a whole group of 60-year-old Bazes that own the Cavalier and... Um, and the Nova, with the baseball caps on backwards and shell suits from the, uh, still, from the uh, early noughties. Yeah, but <laughs> well, no, not,
1: maybe not shell suits, but still wearing black jeans and Reebok classics, I've noticed. The last time we went to a fast yes. show, there was uh, lots of Reebok
0: classics yes. being worn. These are my people, I will just say this. right? Yeah, I, I, I grew up in this era of, well, it was the, Max Power had a lot to answer for, didn't it? We were talking about this earlier, um, before the podcast, actually, Jim and I, and we were looking at... Um, a Mark II Golf, and uh, you were t- saying about you had a, a metal knob at that point, didn't you?
1: I did. I'd, uh, I'd upgraded the, uh, <laughs> the standard item. But then we were having a, a debate. Can we just have a little straw poll amongst our uh, our learned colleagues uh, this evening. So who generally, in the late 80s and early 90s, did a better dashboard? So, you know, Gates' Orion, for example, versus a Mark II Golf. Who do
0: we think did a better dashboard? You said specifically... Spe- not not generally, specifically. And you showed me a Mark II Golf, which looked like someone had blobbed buttons into the dash. And I love the Mark II Golf. I think the outside is fantastic. I think the interior, with the aftermarket steering wheel, the metal pedals or whatever, was just a bit hopeless by, com- by comparison to what I thought was a slightly more cohesive design in the Escort. I just thought it made more sense. It might have been built better, but I think it looked better. I liked the outside of, of the Golf, and I, I like them when they have the proper sort of four-spoky steering wheel type affair and have the, you know, the golf ball gear knob. I think that's great. But the dashboard looks like someone sneezed.
3: (laughs) It was quite a nicely made car because we we had a Golf. Well, my parents had a Golf. It was a Mark II. And it felt like it had been you know, the old cliche of sort of machined from the solid, there was no way that thing was ever going to fall apart, and all the buttons were where you'd want them, high up, out of the way, easy, easy reach again, within line of sight, you weren't fumbling around down near the gear lever, trying to turn the heat up or down, it was directly hey, some of uh, the
0: best nights of my early years that was fumbling around down by the gear lever
3: well yeah i wasn't thinking euphemistically i was thinking practically because i'm a dullard but yes I I, <laughs> I I i take your point if we're talking about dashboards actually the complete antithesis of the golf in terms of build quality i had three fiat unos of the mark one variety and they had the most fantastic dashboards they were built out of like lolly stick plastic and would <laughs> you know if you sneezed the thing would have fallen apart but it had everything within fingertip reach from the steering wheel. So your windscreen wipers, the lights, everything was fingertip. You didn't have to take your hands off the wheel. Uh, all the buttons as well were on pods either side of the, um, the dash. It was fantastic, but um, half of it didn't work. But it did It <laughs> did have a very good practical benefit. And I think it was something I think only the only other people really doing things like that was Citroen at the time. Probably.
0: Yes. Yeah. Or maybe Renault. I think a few of the Renaults had something similar. I'm just trying to remember what the the Renault 5 had weird bits sticking out of the dashboard, if if I remember correctly. No,
1: but the Renaults of that age had a, uh, a cover for the radio, didn't they? It was that flip down. It almost mm. looked like a big ashtray. They had a, a radio mm. lit for some reason, which meant they were less likely to get nicked. I'm not sure.
0: Audi TT had that, I think.
3: Yes, it did. But it just made you wonder, what's under there? What are they
0: trying to hide? I
3: can't <laughs> see a radio. Where would it logically be? Uh, it's under that cover that
0: says TT or Renault, do not look under here. Years and years ago, I used to work in a really rough part of town. Uh, this is a part of town where youths and yobos, Jim, <clears throat> would go spinning around in their... In their... Mark II gulfs and bits and pieces and escorts and such trying to impress everybody. That's exactly what I did. Exactly what you did. Fascinating place to work. The incident report was incredible. People, someone pushed a fridge off the top of the car park and hit someone. It was, it was, you know, lots of things happened there. Armed robbery. And I remember someone had left a smart car overnight outside the place. And this was a bad idea, leaving anything there. And they put a sign on saying... Nothing left in the car or nothing left in the glove box or words to that effect. Someone had smashed the window, strewn everything that was inside the car all over the floor and written just checking and put it back on the dash. <laughs> <laughs> Which I does show some humour. It was a pretty rough, pretty rough place, but yeah, there you go, just checking. I have to admit, whenever I had to park there, I'd always leave the glove box open um, just so that people could see there was nothing in there or leave the parcel shelf out.
2: I followed a baker's van recently which had the wonderful legend no pies left in this vehicle overnight
0: (laughs) I love it when people put stuff on the back of vans there's a butcher's round the corner that says pleased to meet you meet to please you (laughs) That's, that's one to have isn't it
3: As anyone who travels the length and breadth of the UK will know, smart motorways, so-called, uh, are becoming they are becoming far more of a regular feature, whether or not we like them. And I think it's safe to assume that most of us here are not fans for the uh, obvious reason that they are very, very dangerous, ill-considered and badly thought out and all, the, all of the above. Um, well, a campaign to try and get them at least paused and to get some more much-needed research done on the effect of them, uh, has been taken to Parliament this week. Uh, Campaigners carried 38 cardboard coffins to Parliament Square to demand a ban on the all-lane running motorways. Um, Some of these people were family members of those who have been killed in some of these incidents, and I think they do have a good point. There's been a Transport Select Committee looking into these, and I think it's safe to say that... They're not overly favourable. They're not exactly in favour of banning these things just yet, but I think they would very much like to see the rollout at least paused while some research is done.
1: Just to um, throw some balance on it, it's not the the smart motorway aspect of it. So the variable speed limit, when it first came out, I think was was quite clearly a bit of a disaster, and it took them a while to get the algorithm working with the cameras and the speed and how much do you need to speed up and slow down because one one thing I will say is that Zoom has told me I'm about to raise my hand for some reason Uh, and the other thing that I will say is it's a rare occurrence these days where you actually need to physically come to a complete stop because of traffic on a motorway you know it used to be back in the day you'd have you'd have a hold up because somebody had broken down or had an accident so everybody was driving past slowly pointing and laughing or waiter to traffic or whatever it was and you had that concertina effect where everybody slows down a bit too much that generally doesn't happen you might have a few miles of 40 50 60 40 30 but at least you keep going I I actually think that's quite reasonable and when it works it works well and and it keeps your average speed somewhere where it needs to be but i think the yep. the petitions and the general campaign is is yeah you can't have what always used to be the hard shoulder as a live lane on a motorway and then rely on people not be i think is is it well it's clearly not paying attention but is it just being in that trance of Okay, I'm on the M1, I know I'm going from London to Liverpool, so I don't need to think about anything on the M1 until I turn off in 250 miles or whatever it is, and I'm just sat in this lane and that's it, and just not paying attention to the signs or anything, maybe letting the... Radar guided cruise control do the rest of the speed and and just barreling along regardless and and yeah I think to have the hard shoulder be used as an inside lane is is just a recipe for disaster isn't indeed, it yeah. indeed, oh, indeed we'll it is. put an X above it when we need to close it when somebody's broken down it's like well it doesn't it doesn't happen quick enough and not everybody pays attention to it
2: nobody takes any notice of the X's until it's far too late uh, and, and that applies to all lanes because the, there's. There's just no no lane discipline left on any of the motorways. I spend far too much of my time driving motorways, the M25, the M4, the M40, particularly. Uh, and just this weekend, one of there's several things that I did notice, I heard the the story on the on Radio Four this morning uh, of that campaign and of the uh, parliamentary committee. Um, and you know, basically, they're suggesting a delay, a pause for thought. To look at some research, I think the figure that I heard was 54 deaths in the last four years, which is, is just quite frightening. The situation doesn't seem to be improving, and it, it, it's, a, it's a political and economic decision to do these things. It has nothing to do with traffic management, and I think Highways, the agency which is pushing this more than any other, uh, is misguided.
3: Yeah, as James rightly said, we do need to sort of point out that there is a there is a differentiation between so-called smart motorways and all lane running motorways. That There is the difference. The smart motorways in and of themselves are actually a good idea where you still have a hard shoulder and you also have the variation in speed to keep people moving. That part of it, I think we'd all agree, is a good thing that works but when you do away with the ability to break down and pull in safely where you are and actually make for somewhere that's away from the other three or four lanes that's moving at anything above 70 miles an hour when you don't have that then you're just asking for trouble and it's purely a financial thing I and mean, then you can dress it up as much as you like and say it's more efficient and we've got all sorts of technology that detects people breaking down well you didn't detect 38 or 54 depending on however many it was of those did you and yes you can accept a certain amount of attrition perhaps if you're a politician but that's 38 families who no longer have a parent a, a father a brother a sister whatever I, I think it Certainly, they, those people deserve a pause in order to have this looked into properly and try and find a better way of working.
2: There's a rumour that came my way that uh, that some of the breakdown services are no longer prepared to offer a service uh, on certain sections of motorway which they regard as too dangerous for their operatives. Uh, you know, in my weekend travel, Sunday night and uh, again Monday afternoon, uh, we counted, I think, something in the mid-30s. We lost count in the mid-30s of broken-down cars, hardly any of those were in any sort of refuge. They were just broken down in lane one. Uh, Because when it breaks down, it breaks down. You can't necessarily get to a place of safety, even though that place of safety isn't a place of safety. Uh, You know, I've seen too many people drive through these things, and the skid marks at most of them suggest that most people arrive at them far too quickly to be safe. And that's simply not big enough, is it? Everything that could be wrong with that
1: system, as far as I'm concerned, is wrong with it. But I think with uh, with modern cars as well, I think uh, they tend to have fewer niggles these days. You know, in in the old days, you might have a oh, there's a there's a rattle, there's a light on, it's running a bit rough, it's on, you know, three cylinders or whatever else. You know, the fan belt's gone, so I just need to keep the speed up and otherwise it'll overheat, etc. Whereas modern cars tend to be Oh no! I've seen something I don't like, and the tolerances are so fine that invariably the it means you have to pull over and stop, and the engine won't restart, or it goes into limp mode and won't do more than twelve hundred RPM until it's had the fault code cleared, which could be something, could be nothing, but it's a faulty sensor, or you know, launches its coolant everywhere and launches the engine in about seven seconds flat, and it's a, and and you can't fix it. You know, again in the old days you'd oh, you'd open the bonnet and, oh, that's broken, I can fix that, I can put a spanner on that bit and change that and fiddle around with that and get it going again. Nowadays, if you haven't got the manufacturer's diagnostic computer to plug into it at the side of the road and a 30, 40 megabyte internet connection to talk it to the manufacturer, you're not fixing it at the side of the road, are you? So it's dead as a doornail and that's it. Yeah,
2: I think what we were surprised by was that the majority of the cars that we saw broken down, were relatively new, less than three, four years old. Some are very new. Uh, I think there was a Range Rover, which is current model. So, you know, months old, not not probably even a year old. Pretty standard? Well, I mean, you know, it was across all brands. You know, I'm not being selective on brands. It was across all brands. There were a, a lot of very expensive vehicles uh, broken down. But, you know, I do that that hack quite regularly. I don't think we have ever seen so many vehicles broken down uh, at the side of the road, and people desperately waiting to be rescued by somebody. Which does concern me. If if any of the rescue services are adopting a policy of not putting their their own people at any form of risk, then then I, you know I think that really is frightening. Who's going to sort that mess out? Because uh, I didn't see in the. No,
3: let's let's think about this.
2: Something like five hours I spent on those two motorways. I didn't see one highways agency patrol vehicle.
3: Well, it's quite telling as well. Um, I think I mentioned earlier in the in our pre-recording WhatsApp chat that I was watching one of the any number of Channel Five fly-on-the-wall police car traffic speeder documentary things, which they seem to be their stock in trade these days. And quite enjoyable, they are too. But there was one last night where this senior policeman in his car was trying to get through on a smart motorway, uh, trying to get to the scene of an accident about two or three miles further up the M6, I think it was, somewhere in Cheshire. And he was having the devil's own job trying to fight his way through the backed up traffic because there was no hard shoulder on which he could make progress and he was having to battle through literally one at a time and of course nobody's looking in their mirrors nobody's listening nobody's aware he's there plus i think he was in an unmarked car which wouldn't have helped even though they do light up like christmas trees but there's nothing like a big white thing with blue lights on in your rearview mirror to get you to move over and so you know you've made it more difficult for the people who actually need to be there to get to where the accident is so surely that's just ridiculous
1: yeah similar to the uh, speed bumps Near a hospital, argument isn't it? If uh, if it's slowing the ambulances down to such an extent that people are dying in the back of an ambulance on the way to a hospital, well, get rid of the speed bumps. Simple as that. But yeah, again, it's a but it's a common-sensing or an education thing, you know. If uh, I think it's a law in Germany, but everybody sticks to it, that if you come to a halt on the autobahn, you yeah, move, move right over to the left or the right of your lane depending on which lane you're in to allow emergency vehicles to get through the middle and they never have this issue because they're all paying attention they know what to do and they know that one day it could be them at the front of that queue that that needs some help um whereas that that just doesn't seem to be the attitude i mean if a if ever traffic does get very busy on a motorway and it's a, a four lane or you know smart hard shoulder live lane whatever you want to call it Tend not to stick in the in the left-hand most lane anyway. Um, but if I do, I just sort of try and keep rolling so that if something is coming up behind me, I can get out of the way. But I tend to look in my mirrors more than once a year. So
3: you're in the minority. I can assure you.
2: Therein lies the difference. Most most drivers, uh, I hate to say that I, over this last weekend's driving, people just aren't using their mirrors. You know, I I saw uh, two instances where. Uh, emergency vehicles, both ambulances, were trying to work their way through. Uh, and I saw one set of circumstances where people did a parting of the waves and let the, the ambulance run down through the middle, and it was like a zipper, uh, and it was very effective. The other one, uh, people just didn't move over, and you know the, the ambulance driver was desperately trying to find a way through four lanes of traffic that just couldn't be bothered to shift. Or didn't even know I've, he was I've there. I've stumbled
1: across uh, a, quite a good YouTube uh, channel in the last couple of weeks. So a bit of an unfortunate name, it's Chris Martin. So he does uh, he does sound like uh, the guy from Coldplay. And then YouTube suddenly started recommending lots of Chris Martin videos. And I have to keep repeatedly telling YouTube that I'm not interested in Coldplay because they're awful. But he's a, a, a paramedic first response driver so he's he documents and commentates on all his emergency response drives and it's it's fascinating but there was one that got me where he said you know you know I lose my cool in here and you can tell the concentration goes and he's he's barreling along and there's blues and twos and you know it's getting dark so all the road signs are lit up like Christmas trees you know like so you can see him coming from miles and miles away and somebody pulls out in front of him so he has to swerve around them and the sum total of his, you know, near road rage, anger and frustration with this other driver, because it's got a camera on his face as well, is. And then he says, could feel my heart rate spiking, needed to calm down. It's like, what, it's gone above 42 beats a minute, has it, whilst you're barrelling through various roads at 100 well, something tutted. miles an hour on the way. Well, yeah, he tutted. We all know that Yeah, tutted. Yeah, not yeah, very yeah. good at all. But it was no, uh, no. it was quite an eye opener just to see the uh, the lack of attention and and how he doesn't just spend all day shouting at people is is insane because you think how can you not see this? It's you know he's so clear, obviously you know he maintains a sensible and safe distance and whatever, but he's close enough that it's dark and you can see his lights are lighting up the inside of the car in front. So when it's close enough to you that your headlining is being lit up flashy blue, even if you're not looking in the mirror, surely just the ambience of, oh, there's a disco in here, what's going on? Oh, is that something behind me? I just, I I don't get it. It's, but, I you know, why that doesn't get submitted and automatically the... Uh, a letter gets sent to the registered keeper of the vehicle inviting whoever was driving at the time to go on a driver awareness course mandatory and it costs you 150 quid for getting in the way of an emergency vehicle and not getting out of the way maybe that's a you know uh probably a reasonably easy revenue generator for the constabulary etc because they've all got videos they've all got you know they're all recording 24 7 when they're out especially when the blues and twos are on so why not start to use that? If you get in the way of an emergency vehicle, it's 150 quid for driver awareness course. Due care and attention. Mm.
3: There is the other side of that argument, and I absolutely agree with you. I mean, there's there's no conscionable reason why you shouldn't spot something like that, unless you are really glued to Facebook, which, scarily enough, and a lot of people probably are, looking at texts, WhatsApps, whatever, rather than looking where they're going. But I, you could argue that there needs to be more... Training and awareness when you learn to drive of what to do if you see blue lights behind mm. you because a lot of people go into rabbit in the headlights ironic use of the joke, a lot of people go into rabbit in the headlights uh, mode not knowing what to do they just see blue yeah. lights or which way which way is the best way for me to go and if you do read up on it there are certain things that blue light response drivers are looking for they're looking for you looking in your mirror to then second guess where you're likely to, to make go that and if, eye contact yeah. exactly and they want you really to just make it as easy as possible for them so without breaking the law just try and make room and as long as you're making the effort and someone else is making the effort they can get through but i do think and it's something that's been spoken about a number of times in the past there ought to be some proper training on it even if it's just a mention in the highway code there are sections in the highway code but they're not particularly explicit as to what to do when we all learned to drive the roads were far less busy and you know and there was less speedy police ambulance fire engines they didn't go as fast as they go now and so you know you could probably make room fairly easily now the roads are so crowded you really are having to sort of think where is the best part of the road to be on in order to let this thing through as fast as it can go
1: yeah i mean there's a there was an advert campaign that ran a few years ago but it didn't run for long and it was uh, a group of ambulance fire and police drivers saying about what they wanted out of people. I mean, watching this guy's videos, you see the number of people who just, they see the blue lights and they break,
3: mm, but they yes. almost
1: sort of go to the middle of the road and break. And it's like, no, that's that's not helping anyone. Uh, but one thing I, I did find out, and I only found this out very recently, was that uh, if there's a uh, an emergency vehicle coming up behind you with uh, the lights and the siren on, it's obviously to, to alert you. But if you're on a particular stretch of road and it's not safe, Uh, or the driver of the emergency vehicle doesn't feel it's safe to overtake, they'll turn the siren off. They'll leave the lights on, but they'll turn the siren off as a, no, carry on, make as good progress as you can, and I'll overtake when it's safe to do so. So if you're on a a twisty, maybe a few blind or tight bends, but you can maintain 60 miles an hour, let's say, um, going back to your driving instructor story gates, then it's, you Know just carry on and make that progress, and then as soon as you can get through, then I'll uh I'll get round you. But yeah, the the panic is is one thing that but that only comes having experienced it a couple of times. And it's that oh, what do I do? I mean, it's it, it brings out either the best or worst in people. I mean, the the best reversing round a corner with a trailer I ever did was when uh, I was going through a, a three way set of traffic lights, reasonably long, but it was all coned off, and there was a police car trying to get through. The other way from and he'd appeared down one of the sides and lo- most people could nip through the traffic cones or you know up on the curb or whatever and he comes through and I'm in a ranger with a trailer with a car on the back of it and he sort of looked at me and it was just that moment of oh god well we're both stuck here but I, I managed in one hit off a single lane that was coned off to reverse it into somebody's drive it was just about wide enough and it's the only time I've ever done a reverse round a corner in a trailer in one hit and you know, without them to take a slideshow. It was the best bit of reversing I've ever done. And couldn't do it again if you paid me a million pounds, but I was (laughs) quite proud of it. It was very good.
3: Grace under pressure. Mm. (laughs) Very good. They do say as well, one of the, the other things is just to try and indicate to the vehicle behind you what your intentions are so if you think you're going to slow down or pull to the side indicate that so at least it gives them a clue it's one less thing to have to worry about and then they can look for the next gap past you and so sort of they know what you're doing and they're off which um something we sort of were, were taught by just having done the the IAM thing and having been a an observer you do get to meet a lot of the, um, the highly trained the police the class one drivers and they are an absolute fount of knowledge very interesting people to talk to if ever you do have the opportunity to spend any time next to a police driver a class one driver or any emergency response driver particularly the police ones they are absolutely telepathic in what they do they can see things transpiring before you've even worked out where you are. They've already done about three corners and told you that the red car in the distance is going to slam his anchors on and turn left without any warning. Lo and behold, it does come to pass.
1: Well, that's uh, one thing my dad always taught me, going back to learning to drive, was, you know, your driving instructor teaches you how to pass your test. You know, is it your dad, your uncle, your brother, your cousin or you know, who teaches you how to actually drive. But one thing my dad always said that stuck with me, he said 99.9% of being a good and safe driver is working out what everybody else is doing. And and actually, if you can work out what everybody else is doing, like you say, before they've worked it out themselves, then you'll, you'll be far, far less likely to have an accident or get in anybody's way or, or come a cropper. And then you know you can make all the stereotype comments about. It. We could tell by the shape of his hat that he was uh, not paying attention for that bit or whatever it is. But it's um yeah, just w- working out what other people are going to do is uh, is quite a skill. It has to be said.
2: I've I've been lucky enough to sit alongside some class one drivers once, uh, by accident really. I just happened to be in the vehicle when they got a shout and and uh, got involved in a chase. And the 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 level of skill is is really quite extraordinary. The training. Is very very impressive, and you know I'm I'm very much in favour uh, of more policing on on our roads, particularly on dual carriageways and motorways. And the fact that, that I, I saw one police vehicle over the course of the weekend on the motorway with somebody being nicked, presumably for speeding, by a fully marked up Mercedes E Class saloon, it's bizarrely a saloon, but you know in daylight if you're going to get yourself nicked by a Fully marked up, please. Car, you really are not paying attention, are you?
0: Other bits and pieces that have have played in the news this week. There has been a question over whether or not we'd be allowed to modify cars again in the future. I think more about that another time. But also the ULES zone, the ULEZ zone, which seems to be constantly expanding or constantly restrictive, and. It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? So, I'm just what's... if if you're not familiar
1: with this, because I I heard about this, so I googled ultra les, and I'm not sure that I found the <laughs> subject that you're about to be talking about. I mean, it was very interesting, but my research got slightly sidetracked somewhat. So, I'm not not a hundred percent clear, if I'm honest.
2: We should somebody define the area that's involved, because a lot of people would never drive in London anywhere, or even dream of doing so. Uh, I regularly have to. Whereas the original ULEZ area was very, very small. Central London uh, and the sort of area you would reasonably expect. It's now expanded quite dramatically. And if you are anywhere within, uh, but not including, the North Circular and the South Circular, which is uh, certainly a very, very substantial part of London, probably half to 60% the entire greater London area is now within that ULEZ. And essentially, if your car is non-compliant, then it's going to cost you £12.50 a day. And uh, it racks up quite quickly if you fail to pay it. And the, the notices are apparently already going out, even though it was only introduced a few days ago.
3: So essentially the numbers you need to remember are for petrol if your car is Euro 4 or later then you're alright and if you're diesel it's Euro 6 and it should be that simple but as we're probably about to discover and a lot of people are finding out to their cost, literally to their cost, it's not that simple because there are so many little internecine parts of the wording of the, the rules and regulations that you're better off just going online, go on the TFL website, type in your registration number and find out whether or not you're going to be charged
0: 1250 for the privilege. Bizarrely, some cars it doesn't seem to matter anyway. Some classics, they're saying, unfortunately, people aren't going to be able to keep them if they live in the expanded, ooh, les, you les, whatever you want to call it, zone, because they're too polluting. But bizarrely, other cars seem to be just fine. Yeah, because your you're Mini, you can quite happily be a Les,
1: you can alter yes. less to your heart's content in your Mini, can't you? But the CO2 on your Mini must be about a million CO2s because the tax is about a million pounds
0: a it's year. It's crazy isn't? expensive. It's 350 quid a year to, to tax and about 130 <coughs> quid a year to insure. Just madness. A pound a but day. It, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I did not even thought about it like that, but, yeah, you're near enough getting there now. It's quick math. It is. But, of course, if, uh, if
1: you live within that area, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's a good thing for you on... Uh, on one case, because it means the emissions should, in theory, be lower where you live, so it's healthier and better for your lungs and your kids' lungs and whatever else, which is uh, is all well and good. But there's, I mean, when, when it initially came out, there were a few people who like, oh, if I pull out of my garage or driveway and turn left, I'm OK. If I turn right, then I caught the charge. Or there were people who were a road inside it. They never turned right and drove into the middle of London, but they couldn't drive to the end of their road without being in the ultra low emissions zone area. So it it costs them money just to drive off their driveway, which is a bit, uh, a bit silly, but there's no, there's no discount for living there anymore. Is there, if, uh, if you're within it, you pay it regardless. Yeah,
2: uh, quite so. Uh, I think there's a considerable uh, lack of clarity and apparently there have been a lot of mistakes made already as to what vehicles are and aren't uh, fully compliant. Uh, And, I take David's point, it it ought to be as simple as that, it apparently isn't, I mean mine is a pretty old vehicle, it's probably rather more polluting than a more modern diesel, but at the same time, currently, it's compliant, which is very convenient, because I have to go within the South Circular quite often, uh, and park within it, which means if I parked overnight, I would have to pay it two days running.
3: I'm in possession of a car which is probably kicking out more um, nitrous oxides than it um, really ought to be, but it's also a car that can get in and out of the uh, the ULES without paying the twelve pound fifty. I'm I'm also paying the thick end of three hundred and fifty quid a year for the privilege of driving this thing. It does, you know. Whilst I'm very grateful that I don't have to, I mean I don't have to go into London. So it's one of the benefits of lockdown. I'm I'm still working from home, and long may that continue because it's saving me a fortune. But where I worked, where the office was, uh, it's now moved. Actually, through lockdown, we we don't have an office anymore. Um, it would be slap bang in the middle of the ULES, just the other side of the um, the South Circular, and and it does really seem a bit stupid that you can be driving around in this thing with quite a big engine that's not overly polluting, but it's it's more polluting than a lot of cars that can't get into the ULES. So there does need to be some clarity, as you quite rightly said.
2: It would appear from the, the feedback I've been sort of hearing uh, listening to a phoning program on BBC Radio London within a couple of days of it, starting, that, that there were problems of understanding even within the authority that's running it, and notices has been sent out to vehicles that were, in fact compliant, and uh, vice versa. Uh, so you know the, the, the system's going to take some while to bed down. My concern is that uh, in, in, it's almost inevitable. Uh, that because it's in a good cause, and I think we all accept that it is, uh, but it's also an interesting revenue raiser, uh, that gradually they'll, they'll, they'll clarify all the minor details and then gradually expand outwards. And, uh, you know, when we get to the point of anything within the M25 will be considered to be uh, a, a ULES zone, uh, life is going to get very, very expensive.
1: Well, I mean, there's a there's a there's a very good economic escape route from this, which is um maybe to buy the uh, the new Range Rover, because that uh, that'll be available any minute now as a plug-in hybrid, won't it? So uh, for those looking to save the twelve pounds fifty a day, uh, if you do live in the middle of London or in the ultra low zone, then for for just from ninety four thousand pounds, you could uh, you could save yourself that twelve pounds fifty a day, couldn't you? So. As long as you keep the car for a period of time, then uh, it it could almost pay for itself. Free motoring, there we go. Well, the
3: 1250 does soon add up, but not to 94 grand's worth. Like you say, you'd you'd have to have the thing for a little while, wouldn't you? But then it would be a bit of a keeper. It does look like a lovely thing, the new Range Rover.
0: It looks kind of like the old one from the front. 7,600
1: days that would take uh, at 95 grand. Let's say you've put some options on it. Um, so twenty point eight years. So that's no, that's probably not not. It's not going to last that long, is it? Let's be honest.
2: I know there's a lot of Range Rovers
0: that seem to. I I I do like a Rangey. They are all the money, but when they revealed it, they saw the side profile first. Okay, they've changed the, the gills on the side. I looked at the front and thought this looks very familiar. The back, obviously, less so. But it's definitely a an, an evolution as opposed to revolution, isn't it? The new the new Land Rover, I'd say.
1: I think it's such a clean bit of design, though. All the mm. uh, the fussy bits and the the ins and outs and the bits that you look on most cars where you think, that oh, that'll trap water or that'll be a nightmare to polish or oh, that's, oh, well, that's, you know, soft gloss plastic, so that'll scratch, but it's next to black rubber, so I can't polish it up because I'll get polish on the trims and just all these, these weird little geeky bits that you look at. The more and more you look at the car, just how clean it is, you know, the, the lack of... Um, seals at the bottom of the windows and things all the seals are now inside and hidden behind the bodywork so it's just bodywork glass and and nothing in between them it's it's a really nice bit of really clever bit of design and you can't see the leds uh within the light clusters because they face the other way and there's reflectors to shine them back so it's pitch black until the leds light up and everything just all these the, the the attention to detail on it is fantastic i mean it's as long as it's reliable it can't you know for 90 something mm. thousand pounds will it be acceptable to break down every five minutes and be on the back of a recovery truck or even worse let you down at the side of a smart motorway and a lorry goes tanking into the back of it you know there's a there's potential for for upset there but it's um i mean more more car than i'll ever spend you know spend money on because um, it's well it's it's property prices isn't it you know not maybe not around here in the south of england but in plenty of parts of the country you know do you want to buy a flat or a range rover it's very very odd that it's that much money but cars seem to be that much money these days don't they and then some
2: it is an indicator of the way things are going and we are all inevitably going to go uh, electric and uh, most of the classic cars i suspect or many classic cars will end up going electric as well and and you know, there are companies all over the place now that uh, can do your conversion for you. And one that just caught my eye, I mean, we've discussed the idea of uh, crate engines before in American uh, uh, parlance. You can buy a complete engine, the whole thing, in a box, slotted into your car. And one of the least likely that you would perhaps put a electric motor into is a 57 Chevy, which is, you know, one of the absolute classics of all time, Americana. But General Motors now offers you a complete bolt-in electric crate motor.
1: Well, bearing in mind the Range Rover full electric isn't due until I think is it twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five. mean, it was a bit, a 20, bit disappointing. 25. Yeah, not not to be full electric from launch. So do you uh, do you spend ninety four something thousand pounds on the diesel one and then buy a crate electric motor to drop into it? So it's uh, it just just seems a bit. A bit odd not to have that. So in, in a couple of years, is it going to look very outdated, bearing in mind the electric one that has just come out?
2: Maybe you'll just swap them over. I mean, if you can do it with your classic Aston Martin, you can take it back into Aston Martin. They'll take your engine out, or engine gearbox. They'll store it in, in your named box and fit you an electric motor. And uh, Aston Martin Special Works are doing loads of those already, so... Can you just imagine how much it's an electric Not Land Rover away, is
0: going is. to weigh? You, you imagine a Range Rover, the Probably size of the Probably as much to, as a flat, yes. I would have thought. It costs it will as, much, weigh as, as much, much as a flat. Now it weighs yes. as much as a flat. That's going to be a very heavy car, isn't it, by the time it's got a, a, a full battery underneath it and everything else that goes with it. That's going to be a three-ton car, surely.
1: I would have thought so. I mean, it's at any minute now, I think we're going to be bordering on, oh, your normal car licence doesn't allow you to drive that normal. In inverted commas, car,
3: because of the weight. You're going to find out what it's like, or whether or not you're going to be able to buy one from 2024. Apparently, not 25, as I'd said. Sorry, it's uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of it. years' time, and you'll be able to swan around in um, silent luxury, looking down on the plebs. What fun!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, though, there are cheaper electric cars coming through. I don't know if you guys saw what in China is called the Good Cat, but over here will be called the Aura Cat. Oh. As opposed to the Kia or a Cat or something similar, this thing, I think, is quite cool looking. There's there's some odd bits of design. In there. There's a bit of a micro from the side. Then from the front, you've got a couple of power bulges and and headlight design that's sort of a cross between a Mini, uh, a, a tiny Porsche, uh, uh, maybe a little bit of an Alpine in there. It's a, it's a very odd design, but not necessarily an unpleasant one. I have to say.
1: I want to say a, a tiny bit of. Alfa Romeo mito as well about it yeah
0: maybe maybe, maybe a bit of mito but I mean these things are going to be around about 20 grand the port a bit the you know the naught to 30 you get in the city it's 3.8 seconds it's not going to be a fast car but you can get 48 or 63 kilowatt battery which means if you've got the bigger battery you get about 260 miles out of it uh, it's going to do rapid charging 80 kilowatt rapid charging this this is a, a serious little car for the money uh, that to be
1: honest i don't hate it i think it looks pretty cool yeah i thought it was like a, a very nice bit of kit. i think the the interior may be slightly spec dependent and maybe the base ones might be a little bit too basic so if you're going for a basic one get a funky color interior. So you get that two-tone you know seats and dashboard and everything else you can get a nice contrast going on but the the gt version looked quite nice and it had red trimmings and stitchings and there's you know some fake carbon fiber bits on the outside on the gt1 so it looks jazzy and it it just seemed quite a sensible bit of kit with with some nice features on it but for for the price i think it's well if you uh need or want to get on board with the electric revolution it seemed like quite a good way of doing it
0: i don't think you can do much cheaper can you i mean how much is an mg5 does anyone know those are probably about the cheapest you can buy, I think, really, at the moment. But that 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 does seem cheap for an an all-electric car.
3: I think it looks quite nice. The, your good cat mm. does look quite good. It's a shame they're not calling it the good cat.
0: Was that not Bruce Willis, good cat? It was, was it Lucky Number Sleven, where he, he the chap was called good cat? Have I imagined that? Uh, it's just the poor, yeah, poor, <laughs> poor waving in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Maybe maybe that's what they're trying to avoid any things, so, or perhaps they're trying not to sort of. Do you remember sort of the the unfairly named or the rather poorly named uh, Mitsubishi Charisma, which is a car seemingly mm. lacking in any. <laughs> uh, perhaps they're um they're a bit worried that the thing might be writing checks it can't cash if it's breaking down all the time. He said, "Well, it's not a very good cat, is it? If it's permanently at the side <sighs> of the road being tail ended by Artix on the um all lane running M three, but." I don't know. There's obviously reasons, marketing reasons, but I think personally, the thing looks quite cool. It's yeah, uh, well, certainly in the color, in the color yeah. way that it's um, presented in that that press thing that you sent round. It's that sort of white and light blue. It's very airy, light, and uh, attractive to my somewhat jaded eyes these days.
1: Mm. Well, I think it's just being uh, being cautious of uh, the name in translation, isn't it? You know, things like the uh, the MR2 in France was Med. MED. Which, uh, which uh, obviously doesn't translate too well and Nova in Spanish means doesn't go etc so I think there maybe just uh, just being a bit cautious
0: of that
3: unless we forget the Pajero but less said about that the better <laughs> ah, yes.
0: definitely worth a bit of a google if you've not seen it already google the Aura cat it's worth a bit of a look at that uh, hopefully we're we'll get a chance to drive that in the not too distant future who knows So all that leaves me now i suppose is to get back underneath my car and fill every orifice with wax oil i'm absolutely dripping in the stuff and it's disgusting probably my least favorite job on the car but on that note i think this is probably all we've got time to prattle on about for this week so from me mike goodbye and from me jim it's goodbye take care
2: and from me graham it's good night and goodbye
0: and from me dave
3: take care speak to you in a couple of weeks
0: UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.